go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to just look at three verses there that Coach Pope read for us. Um, it's a very, very, very important text in that it forms what we do today and tomorrow, and it changes our eternity. So my grandpa was the one that would always send Bible verses uh, to memorize, and one of those verses to memorize was 1 John 2.17. The world and its desires are passing away, but the man who does the will of God abides forever, will live forever. And so I just celebrated a uh, birthday, and it's not unusual for me to see how quickly life goes. How things just fade away. So I use a funny example, but it's true. The girls asked. <laughs> they knew how old I was. My dad had forgotten. He guessed around 39, whatever. It's 38. I'm only 38. So some would say, man, that's young. And some of you would think, man, that's getting old. Depending on which side of 38 you're on. I said, I'm getting so old enough that my hair won't even fall out right. All right? I don't have a receding hairline. I have receding pathways. But the hair is falling out, and we know where it's going. And I think every time I look in the morning, it's a great reminder that just like my hair, everything in this world is fading away. And the crazy part is my inclination to think that I can pour my life into things here and think they're really, really important. They're really, really significant, like <coughs> sports, like school like a position it's all passing away but the things i've been given in christ remain forever and ever and ever and so that's i listen i need this reminder and i think as a church we need this reminder i think it's interesting john wrote this under the inspiration of the holy spirit because the church needs this reminder our hearts are bent towards going after the things of this world and with as much stuff out there, with television and media, you're invited to jump in. So I want this just to be a reminder of making sure your affection and your love is going after God. Because here's the cool part. I think the, the tendency is you see this verse... Don't love the world, don't love the world, don't love the world, and that's true. But you want to know how you not love the world? You find something greater to love, because you're going to love something. And so this is what happens. As you love God and grow in your love for God, everything in this world diminishes. And that's my goal for my life, and that's my goal for this church, and I hope that's your goal for your life. All right? So it is a heavy topic, but this is one... This is one of those things that we have to get right, especially right now, especially right now, because COVID is a great revealer. COVID is a great revealer. Your heart's desires are flaring up. And so COVID will reveal that, man, I really want comfort. Comfort is really, really important to me. I really want security. And we think we can find security outside of Christ, and you can't. Or we can find 
relaxation and knowing that we have enough money in the bank, but money's not a savior. It's the things of these world, things of this world. And so this is a great opportunity for us to jump in and let's do some work and let's agree together to go after God and see how we can spur each other on to love God more and more each day and see how that love transforms everything else in our lives. All right? So, Coach Nevels does this quite a bit. He offers a, a let's make a deal, a let's make a deal thing uh, to our football team. And the, the older guys of our football program know you never, ever take the deal. You never, ever make a deal with Coach Nevels because it's always going to cost you more than you think, more than you think. And so this particular day, this particular day, um, the problem was some of our guys showed up late to practice. Guys showed up late to practice, and Coach Neville said, you know what, we're going to run for this. And so he separated us into two groups, skilled guys and linemen. Skilled guys are those skinny guys that run with the ball, usually in better shape. Linemen are not those guys. So they go on one side of the field, skilled guys on the other. Coach Nevels will say go to one group. That group goes out to the five-yard line, back to the end zone. Then the other group would go. And we did that all the way down, 5, 10, 15, 20, all the way to the 50-yard line, back and forth, back and forth. Guys were tired by the time they got to the 50-yard line. And that's when Coach Nevels knew he could get them. Hey, guys, let's make a deal. Enough of the older guys were tired enough to say, all right, let's do this. Let's make a deal. He goes, I'll tell you what. We can stop right now if you think you guys can be on time for the rest of the season. So this was early on in this. This is after game number four. We still had about six weeks left. And I'm like, guys, don't make that deal. Do not make that deal. You will not be on time. You know somebody's going to show up late. But they were so tired. They're like, you know what? We'll take it. So they got their water break, and the coaches got together. And we're like, oh, this is bad. So, but guess what happened? For the next week, everybody was about 20 minutes early. Then it was about 15 minutes early. Then about two weeks ago, we had some guys walking in, and there was no way they were going to be on time. They run into the locker room. They got their temperature checked, put on their uniform, their practice jersey, got their pads, running down the field in their socks, cleats not on, and they were about five minutes late. Coach Neville's guys. You think I'm a man of my word? Yes. On the lines. And we proceeded to go to the 50 and then past the 50 all the way down to the other end zone, running back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I think it's interesting. I think the world offers us a let's make a deal. A let's make a deal. But it always, always is to your negative, not your benefit. And I think some of us are taking it because it looks good. But it's not going to bring what you're looking for. And so as we read this text, I want us to see, I want God to open up our eyes to see what Christ has for us in this text. All right, so there's a couple things we have to get right. Do not love the world. Right off the bat, do not love the world. What is the world? So in the Bible, what we see is the world is what God has created, the universe. That's not what the text is talking about. In this context, the definition of this world is an evil system that's under the influence, under the sway of Satan, set up in opposition to God, a pool to forget God, an encouragement 
to replace God. It's a system that is anti-Jesus and a wanting to nothing to do with God. It is evil, it is limited, and it is deadly. If you look at Ephesians um, chapter 6, you, you see this with verse 12. So if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right? That's what the world is in this context. We don't play around with the world. And so I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I think sometimes it's easier to grasp this concept by some examples. So government as savior is a worldly system. Thinking that the election can bring salvation, that the only thing we need is the right person in as that candidate bring salvation is a worldly system. Promise is one thing, but can never deliver. Another example, sexual orientation as my identity, as my identity, that I just need to be fulfilled, so I'm going to love whoever I want to. That is a worldly system. Goes against what God has called us to. Or a slogan, when at all costs. Do you think that is worldly or godly? All right, well, Vince Lombardi, who happens to have two more Super Bowl trophies than I do, said winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. So are you saying he's wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Because God says something totally opposite. God says something totally opposite. All right, here's another slogan. If it feels good, do it. Feels good, do it. Right? That used to be the slogan of Nike. They changed it to just do it. But I think a lot of people live this way, right? Is that godly or worldly? What does God say? Take up your cross. Probably doesn't feel good. Deny yourself and follow me. You can't have it both ways, right? And so that's where we see worldly systems. So do not love the world. That's, that's a, a concept. I, I want us to have a healthy concept. What do we mean by world? All right, but then secondly, does John ask you to love the world, or does he tell you not to? Tells you. It's a command, not a recommendation. Now, that deals with something the world is selling you that you can't help who you fall in love with. Right? As a matter of fact, Elvis sang this song, can't help falling in love. Wise men say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. And then the chorus goes... I can't, I'm not going to sing it, I can't help falling in love with you, right? I think a lot of people buy into this. But you, you want to know what John is saying? Hey, this is a commandment from Jesus, not a suggestion. It's not an emotion, it's a choice of the will. You choose who and what you love. So my question to you, what I want us to see is, who are you loving? Are you loving the world or are you loving God? And you can't do both. All right, so know what the world is. Know what we mean by love. It's not this fluffy feeling of infatuation. It is a rock-solid choice of the will. And then I want us to avoid two extremes. Whenever, we, whenever I, I get onto this, this context, in this context, there's always two extremes I want us to be careful with. 
right? Because some people will go way too far. And, and it's what I call, uh, you want to avoid the extreme of being a monk, right? Everything in the world is evil. I'm going to be away from everybody. I don't want anything to do with anyone. So I'm going to go to my monastery. I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to avoid evil. It's not what John is saying. It, it reminds me of the water boy with the mama, right? Girls are the devil. Football's the devil. Anything that would take her son away from her is the devil, right? And so I want us to avoid that. And some people in the church lean towards this way. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's all bad. We're going to avoid that extreme. But then the other extreme, which is also in the church, is what I call the motto, right? It's, it's Burger King, have it your way. It's, you, you know what, you need to know what's out there so you can make bridges to the gospel, and we sacrifice sin for holiness as a means to getting the gospel out. And you don't have to do that. You want to know how I know that's true? Jesus didn't do it. Missionary after missionary doesn't do it. And so sometimes because Christians see that they have freedom in Christ, they use it to the extreme. So we want to avoid both of those roads. The world is evil, but we're still in it. The world doesn't give you good things, so we're not going to live it up. And so I, I use uh, the illustration Billy Graham used. He brings out a boat. And he said, you know what? A boat was created to be in the water. The problem's not when the boat's in the water, but when the water is in the boat. And so I, I put this picture up. It's not a flattering picture. Um, we're going canoeing on the Little Miami. And you can see the back of that canoe was struggling, Right? back of that canoe was struggling. Balin could barely reach the water with her paddle. She was so far up in the air. But we had no problem on our canoe trip because no water got in that canoe. Now, Mike Hall, myself, and Liam went on a trip, and we were looking back. We got a little cocky. Thought, oh, we can do this. And we looked back to rub it into some of the people behind us that were uh, not able to catch up with us because we were floating down the river. And about that time, as we were looking back, we hit a rock. And that rock stopped our canoe, and the canoe dipped, and the river, boom, flooded the canoe. You know what happens when water gets in your canoe? It sinks. That's the same thing with us in the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. We don't want to be conformed to the world. We don't want to be contaminated by the world. We want to be salt and light pointing people to Jesus. That's our goal. All right, so that was a lot of pre-work before we get into this message. But you see the three main points from this text. Number one, love God, not the world, because we cannot love both. Love God and not the world because we cannot love both. Loving the world diminishes, stomps out, quenches a love for God. You can't do both. All right, so James 4.4 puts it this way. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. You don't flirt with the things of this world. You don't go to the zoo and pet a lion. Right? And so here, James makes it clear, Jesus makes it clear. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So one thing that people are tempted to go after, and this is just one of a hundred things the world offers, is money. You can be devoted to money. But you can't be devoted to money and God. That's what Jesus is saying. And so just to, to drive this home, it's a simple picture. 
let's say this is your life, and, and in this, uh, it's, it's this picture filled up with water. This is your life, and this is the love that you have to give. And, and your days are numbered, right? Some of us, let's say we live to 100. So we have 100 years right here that we get to pour out our love into something or someone. And so and you have two options. You have the world and you have God. And so right here you can start pouring and you're pouring your, your love out. Oh, I don't want to do that. So then you go over here and you're pouring your love out into the things of God. And you're feeding a passion for him. But you want to know what you can't do? You can't split this and pour in both at the same time. You either love the world or you love God. But you can't love both at the same time. And that's what John is saying. If you love the world, you do not love God. The love of the Father is not in you. But if you love the Father, you can't love the world because that is contrary to the things of God. Very, very simple picture. So I want us to ask for wisdom in this area. I want you to ask God to give you wisdom to know what are the things of the world that you are pouring your love out to. You need to kill it. Then you need to ask God, God, how can I fuel, feed my love for you? And you need to live that way. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little bit. Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 4.23, you need this verse. We've covered it many times. Guard your heart with all vigilance. Guard your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. For from it flow the springs of life. What you do flows out of your heart. And right here, what you see is love for God or love for world. And that's coming from your heart. So you better guard what your heart goes after. Now, how do you do this? How do you do this? This is what I want us to answer in a little bit. All right, we're going to have a conversation after this. We'll get done a little early and we'll have a conversation on this. But just practically speaking, what does this look like? How do you guard your heart? You can't just let your life go after uh, nonchalantly, without intention, because you'll drift towards the world. You'll sink in the water. That's what it means to guard your heart with all diligence, with all, be very vigilant in this. And one thing that happens because of COVID-19 and, and we're taking a step back, all of a sudden we let our guard down because we're not out with people. And that's when the world sneaks in. But if you guard your heart... COVID or not, you'll see that everything flows from that and you can fuel your passion for God. Another verse that we have to get is Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You should love your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And then Jesus says this is the first and great commandment. So, do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and might? Right? That's a constant pour. Now, here's the cool part. When you do that, you don't have time to love the things of this world. And so I don't want this to be a, hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I want this to be a, hey, love God with everything you got and watch how your life is transformed. Jesus changes people's lives changes people's hearts, changes people's desires, changes people's affections. So love God. All right, number two. Love God, not the world, because the things of this world are not from the Father. All right, now, real quick, what are those things of the world? Did you, did you notice how John said that twice? 
Do not love the world or the things of this world. And then in verse 16, for all that is in the world. All right, let's make sure we're clear on this, right? This is what they are. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possession. Some translations have it the pride of life. This is not from the Father, but it's from the world and should not be trusted. Anything that the world gives you will always be promising something but never delivering. And it always leads to the grave. And so just to, to, to work this out, desires of the flesh, um, those are the things that our fallen nature go after. Things from the inside. And, and they're not evil, but we're tempted to meet these needs in ways apart from God. Now, some of these are evil. This is an appetite for food. Is being hungry bad? No. Is going to a buffet and eating everything in the line bad? Yes. This is a hunger for, uh, or an appetite for safety. Is that bad? No, but this is thinking that safety comes in whatever neighborhood we live in or whatever house we live in or wherever our shelter is and not God. Appetites include sex drive. That's from God. That's not an evil thing, but we are so messed up in this world to think that we can go after this and find fulfillment apart from what Christ has called us to. Right? Jesus didn't leave us to, to figure this thing out when it comes to sex. He designed it for a marriage between a man and a woman, for a husband and a wife. And in that relationship, in those guidelines and parameters, love flourishes. Sex isn't a bad thing to be avoided, but it's supposed to be done in a way that honors Christ. And he's given us guidelines. Why would he leave something like that to, oh, you figure it out. Good luck. And yet, if you look at the world, they're trying to figure it out in all sorts of manners and ways. And it leads to death. So you've got the desires of the flesh. Uh, number two, desires of the eyes. It's what you see. Gives you jealousy. You could be jealous over talent. You could be jealous over beauty. You could be jealous over stuff. Right? And so something uh, simple that, that we see. Um, we look at a neighbor and see that they have something cool in their yard or in their driveway. Something addition that they put on their house. Maybe it's a pool in the backyard. And instead of being thankful that God has blessed them, we become jealous and motivated to work, 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 and get what they have. So we don't want to be left out because we think joy comes from stuff and not from Christ. Or it could be you're looking and you see someone you work with looks a lot prettier than you, and so you're going to buy some better makeup or you're going to buy some plastic surgery because you think that your beauty is on the outside and not what God counts as character on the inside. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to wear makeup. If you're a lady, you can wear makeup. But your goal should be honor Christ with how you dress and with what you do, not impress somebody. All right? See how sneaky this can be? Or the pride of life. Pride of possessions. Look what I got. I'm pretty important because I'm this talented, or I'm pretty important because I have this stuff. I feel a lot better with my nice truck. I feel a lot better if we win the game on Friday instead of lose. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that's not the direction we want to go. That's not our life. It doesn't consist in stuff. So, to flesh this out, look at the garden. Remember uh, Eve in the garden? God says, hey, you can eat of any tree, just not this one. And I want you to hear Eve's response when she sees the tree. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, desires of the flesh, hunger is a good thing. 
But going to this tree for the food is a bad thing because God says, don't do that. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Whatever fruit she was looking at looked good. This thing wasn't rotten, didn't have bugs crawling out of it. It looked good for her appetite. Sin always looks good. Always looks good. There's always an appetite to be met because it looks good. And then the tree was to be desired because it makes one wise, which is the pride of life. And you see how this temptation dealt with all three of those. Things you desire, desires of the eyes, <laughs> desires of life, and pride of possessions. But then you see Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus in the wilderness. Do you notice he does the same three? Do you see the three things here? Desires of the flesh. What was the first temptation Jesus felt? What was the first one he felt? The devil said, turn these stones into bread. Now listen, I don't know about you. I go a day. Let's say the cafeteria doesn't have a good lunch and I don't eat. I go a day. By dinner time, I'm hungry. And if I could turn some stones into bread, that would be very, very strong temptation. And Jesus has been days and days and weeks without food. And Satan knows this. And he says, hey, just turn some stones into bread. Jesus responds, nope. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word of God. He refuses to give in to the desires of the flesh. But then we move on. Satan takes him and he shows him the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, hey, Jesus, this can be yours. Just bow down and worship me. So that's the desires of the eyes. Here's the crazy part. Jesus is reigning and ruling the universe. And Satan offers it to him without the cross. But Jesus doesn't give in to the desires of the eyes. He says, nope, I'm not bowing down. We worship God alone. And then you get to the last temptation takes him up to a building and says, hey, throw yourself down because you know angels will rescue you because you're the son of God. Satan is saying, hey, prove that you're the son of God. And Jesus says, nope, I'm not into the pride of life. We don't put God to the test. And if Jesus was tempted in those three areas, so will you and so will I. And we want to fight the same way Jesus fought with the word of God. So I thought uh, something was helpful from the guy's name's Garrett Kell. Uh, why do we not kill our love for the world? Right. So we're all fighting this. And, and I thought he, he gave us three reasons why we don't do well in these battles. And he said, number one, because we love the world and the things of this world. We love the world and the things of this world. And so he, he gives this prayer. And I think it's helpful. Um, and I can email this to you or, or you guys can take a picture. But he says, hey, this this stuff like. Uh, Sin always looks good, and it always leaves a taste of satisfaction. And I want to be careful here because I think this is funny, but it's, it's showing a deadly truth. White Castle tastes good Friday night after a football game at 2 a.m., but it destroys you at about 6 a.m. in the morning. And that's every time we sin, it's like, oh, there's a, a moment of enjoyment. And that's why we're tempted by that sin. But it destroys your life. It destroys your life. And, and so what he was saying is the reason we don't kill that is because we actually like that. We enjoy that. We love that stuff. And, and so the prayer is, God, show me my sin. Show me what I'm seeking from it. Open my eyes that I can see it. As you see it, change my affections that I might love to kill what you hate. That's an awesome prayer to ask God for. Second reason why we don't 
kill our love for the world because killing our love for the world hurts. This is often painful. When you have to go and ask for forgiveness for someone, that's tough. You've got to kill your pride. Why is that hard? When you give up, and so I, I was visiting a guy in jail, and he is going on year 14. But I can remember going and visiting him in jail. He had a, an addiction to heroin. And he was shaking and trembling and lost a lot of weight. And it was very painful. He goes, Ben, the withdrawals is unreal. He's a totally different dude now. But turning from his sin, from his love of the world, is painful. Turning from sin is painful. Killing sin is painful, but it's worth it. So the, the prayer there is, God, give me a willingness to face any pain that killing my sin might bring. Do whatever it takes to free me from my lust and give me a heart that trusts you. Use the pain to help me see you more clearly. And then thirdly, one re, another reason why we love the world and not kill it is because we forget the cost. We forget what sin costs us. This was the problem with Eve. If she could see what would happen the moment she takes that bite, sees that kicked out of the garden, hurting her relationship with God, the God that created her, I think she would have stayed away from the tree, but she forgets because the fruit looks so good. David, on the balcony, looking at another woman, forgets what sin costs. And it cost him his kingdom. And it killed his family. Destroyed the trust of his men that served him. And if he could have seen that, if he can get his eyes on the cost instead of some lady, I think he wouldn't have gone after it. And so this is one thing that we need to pray. Help us see the cost, Lord. Help us see beyond the temptation and see where this leads, which is always death. Prayer for this. God, help me to see my former sin as you see it. Help me remember its bitterness instead of its sweetness. Guard me from looking back. Help me to see you and delight in what you have called me to and not what you have called me from. Those are helpful ways to pray and ask God to help you fight the love and the things of this world. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. And you have to fight or it will take you down. And then we keep going. Number three, love God and not the world because the world is passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. This, this is the promise. This is the promise. Everything here is fading. God is forever. I want to remain in Him. The verse in Philippians 3.20, this isn't our home. Our citizenship is in heaven and we wait a Savior from there. The treasure that we value isn't here where thieves and moth destroy. We store up treasures in heaven. Right? And so it's constantly remembering that everything here is fading away, but God is not. The world and its desires passing away, but God is not. So I, I, there's a couple passages that I think are important here where it's reminding us to love God. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, so there's a category here. Those who love God, what happens? All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. If you love God, nothing will happen in your life that is not for your good or for His glory. 
Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, if you look at Paul, his life was extremely painful. But he was shipwrecked three times for the glory of God. And in his weakness, he found out that God is his strength. And that's what I want. That's what I want. I want to know that the strength God provides is something that lasts forever. Because there's a one day when my strength won't make it, and I'll be buried, but I won't be finished. Why? Because I'm not putting stock in the things of this world. I'm counting on God, who is eternal. So the, the, the prayer I use for this is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in God, and the desires of your heart will be met. If you delight yourself in the world, you'll always be searching but never finding. You'll always be searching and never finding. This happens in marriages. We'll go from spouse to spouse to spouse, thinking that if I just had the right spouse, I'll find fulfillment. We find this in neighborhoods. We'll go from house to house to house, thinking if I just had a little bit bigger house or a little bit better stuff, I'd be happy. It won't. And whatever we put in the blank, I'd just be happy if I had this. If my kids would just act right, if they would just graduate college, if, if I could just get a better job, I'd be happy. And we're always searching, always going after, but never finding, never arriving. That is the world, and some of us are on that track. Get off of it. Love God, and then the desires of your heart will be met. All right, so what I want to do, I want to pray, and then I just want to have a conversation with us right here, and we'll have eight minutes to have that conversation. All right, we'll be respectful to our nursery and the workers there. And so let's pray, and then I just want to have an honest conversation. All right? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Father, help us remember our identity in Christ. Help us walk with him. Help us see that in Christ we have overcome the world. And so I pray that we delight ourselves in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.